Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, I'm so glad you joined today. Today we have on Hillary Baker and she's 42 years old. She's a physician assistant in the ER and she was dealing with both PCOS and type two diabetes which are both caused by insulin resistance. She decided to make major life changes when she got an A1C reading back of 8.9 and she knew it was too high and she knew that she needed to make drastic lifestyle changes in order to reverse her type two diabetes. She started immediately with fasting and changes to her diet. Since then, she has been able to reverse her type two diabetes. She now has A1C readings in the fours and her PCOS has reversed. So she's just a great example of all the benefits of fasting and changes to your diet. Interestingly, she's also been doing this for three years. So we talk a lot about mindset for doing this type of lifestyle for the long term. And she's done a ton of research on the benefits of fasting and we get into quite a bit of that. It was a fascinating discussion and I think you're gonna learn a lot from Hillary, from her experience and just all of the things that she has learned over the years. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Hillary. It's so nice to speak to you today. How are you? I'm good. Good. It's really nice to talk with you today. Great. Before we dive into your story, do you wanna just give us a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Hillary Baker. I am 42 years old and I was a dental hygienist um, when I first graduated college. I did that for a couple of years and then I went back to school and became a physician assistant. And I've been working in emergency medicine for the last 14, 15 years. And um, I would say I've always been focused on weight, even when I was younger. Um, kind of when you go back and say, you're always waiting till, um, and then you look back at pictures and you think you were heavy then. And then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I was beautiful. Um, I wish should have been living my life then. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's all in our mindset and how we look at ourselves. So I've always kind of been aware of my weight, probably around 10 is when I think I started to get a little bit chunkier. Um, in high school, I did play field hockey and I was pretty active. I did soccer before that. Um, and I think that helped me maintain. But as you know, there's always been um, this food pyramid, which has not been correct. And I've done all the different things. The low fat, which was to tons of loaded chemicals and sugar and things. Um, when you're in sports, they always ask you to concentrate on carbohydrates to burn when you run and all of those things. So I just had some poor information, I think. And then when I went to hygiene school, um, you know, you gain weight just with being in college and all of those type of things. So I've always been aware of weight issues. I've always tried Weight Watchers um, and all the different fad diets. And um, 
Yeah, so that's a little bit of my background. I found fasting um, after having my children, and that kind of led me into this journey. How many kids do you have? I have two. Okay. And so, all right. Yeah. Speaking about this journey, because I think you, you know, you said it's more of a, it's a health journey this time more of, than a weight journey. And what happened? You had PCOS and type two diabetes. When did you find out about each one of those? Okay. So, um, I was always pretty good about regular physical appointments. I'd get lab work done, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I never really had an issue with blood sugar or anything like that. I always um, struggled with uh, periods when I was younger, but I was also placed on birth control kind of early. So I never really knew if I was having a regular cycle because I was taking hormone pills, obviously, for birth control. So then after my husband and I had gotten married, I decided I wanted to get off birth control and I was going to do a copper IUD because I'd had no hormones and I would see if I was going to menstruate on my own. Um, of which I did not do that very frequently, maybe once, maybe twice a year. And not my GYN or anybody like that had ever diagnosed me as having PCOS. Um, so because I dealt with fertility issues, I ended up going to Shady Grove and I had blood work and stuff done there. And basically my doctor had said, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you're like a two. You don't necessarily have the hair growth, um, in other areas, but you know, you do obviously probably have insulin issues. You do probably, obviously I had weight issues. Um, and so, and he said, you're on a scale enough to not ovulate. So he said, this will be pretty simple. We're going to get you to ovulate. We can do insemination or you can try, you know, at home, but this will be fairly simple. So that was like the first time I actually was told I had PCOS. And that was after they did an ultrasound and saw the cyst on my ovaries and looking at my hormone levels. So, um, with that being said, I never had any problems with my blood glucose at that time. And, um, they put you on metformin because of the PCOS to help with the insulin. And that's supposed to also some women just get pregnant being placed on metformin. So I did all of those things. Um, and I got pregnant and I did have gestational diabetes. It was diagnosed a little bit later in my pregnancy with my son, which was my first pregnancy. And I was able to control it with diet. Um, my biggest issue was my fasting glucose. It was not with meals. Um, but then I had him and he was a healthy weight, seven pounds, eight ounces, um, and no complications at all. So then when I got pregnant with my daughter, um, I checked early for blood glucose because I had the finger sticks at home. And so I checked that and I kind of looking back, regretted that a little bit just because I brought it to their attention. And when I brought it to their attention so early on, they wanted to put me on medicine right away. And I just knew after some of the research that I had done, I didn't want to take anything that crossed the placenta. And so that meant I was going to do insulin. Um, and so the diabetes educators, you know, started me on insulin. And now looking back, I would be taking insulin in the evening and then being told to eat ice cream. And then I would get, I'm like, this is so counterintuitive. Like, Why were you eating ice cream? Were you getting low blood sugars or? They, in order, they, I, they were increasing my insulin units. And so that I didn't bottom out in the middle of the night that recommended that I do the ice cream. So it was just very bad information. Um, and I wanted, you know, as a medical professional, I wanted to be a good patient. 
And so I just followed these orders. Um, but it kind of changed everything because then I ended up, you know, having to go through OB versus my midwife and all of these different things. Um, and so kind of one of the things that I would also say that I'm a big advocate for is being your own health advocate. <laughs> you got to do your own research and you have to have those tough conversations. Um, and I just wasn't secure in my knowledge enough, I think, to do that. Um, but now looking back, obviously, I would have think, done things totally different. So were you on, in, so the first pregnancy, you were not on insulin. Were you on, not, were you on metformin still or you were on nothing? No, so I did the metformin at the very beginning um, just to help conceive, but then I was off of that. And so then I went back. Um, they had recommended possibly doing metformin, but I just didn't want to take anything that would cross the placenta. So, yeah, that makes sense. And then so after your second pregnancy, you were off, you, you got off the insulin because your gestational diabetes went away? Yeah. Okay. And then what happened later to cause you to develop type two or when did you figure that part out? Yeah. So, um, with that, I, um, struggled breastfeeding my son. And so when I, I did that for about three months and surprisingly I had a really great pregnancy and looking back, I think it was because it was, my hormones were finally working the way they should. And so I felt great pregnant. Um, and I didn't gain a ton of weight pregnant. And then when I was trying to breastfeed him, which was extremely challenging for me. So on top of the stress and all of those things, I gained a ton of weight. So after three months, I was like, he's not getting enough for me. I'm gaining all this weight. Like I'm just going to give him formula. And I felt pretty defeated, um, just because I really wanted to do the breastfeeding, but you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. So after that, when I had my daughter, I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I'm more confident. I'm not a first time mom. I had a, a girlfriend around me who had breastfed twins. She was super supportive. And, um, so I was able to do that with my daughter. Now, with that being said, she was great, like much different baby and much easier to breastfeed. I was able to do that for two years, but probably about five to six months in, I decided I wanted to go see this naturopath. Um, and the reason being is because I was gaining all this weight. And so when I went to go see her, she said, you know, Hillary, you know, we've done your labs. I think at that time, my heme one c was like 5.5 or something like that. She's like, you know, this is such a short period of time. And I wish I could have breastfed my children. Like you should just worry about nurturing your baby and then we'll get back to you later. And looking back, that was probably not great for me because I'm kind of an all or nothing. And then it was kind of like, all right, I'm going to take care of this baby. And, you know, being a mom, mom of two, lack of sleep, all those things. I definitely wasn't nourishing my body the way I should have. And it was kind of a release to be like, okay, so then that's when I gained a tremendous amount of weight. Um, and I was able to breastfeed her for two years. And she said, once you're done breastfeeding, come back, we'll do your labs and then we'll go from there. So it was October. It was just before Halloween, actually, um, 2019. And I went and had lab work. And that's when all my labs came back. My liver functions were elevated due to like fatty liver. Inflammation was off the charts. And my heme one c came back at 8.9. So with that being said, I was mortified. <laughs> um, 
because I knew the medical community, like I would be labeled diabetic. They were going to come at me with medications. I knew I did not want to do that. And so that was my wake up call. I was like, she's two and I need to stop making excuses. I signed up for the gym that day. And then I started digging into research about more holistic options for diabetes. And that's where I came across Dr. Jason Fung. Okay. And so between the time that you ended up not breastfeeding your last child and after the gestational diabetes had passed, you were off all medication. So that 8.9 was like a real 8.9, that A1C. That, yeah, that was it. Yeah. And yeah. I had had labs done before I was ever on metformin to help conceive my son and all that. I've never been that high. Like Mahimi and C was always in the fives or whatever, not over 5.7 or anything like that. So it wasn't like my gestational diabetes. A lot of times for women, that's the first time they get checked and they're like, oh, we have gestational, but you really have diabetes. I didn't, I had a lot of lab work prior to those pregnancies and I definitely didn't have diabetes. I'm sure I had a ton of insulin resistance. Um, but you know, we don't talk about that. Really the blood glucose is the symptom and we in medicine treat the symptom. We're not really looking. And the problem is the insulin. Um, and so, so yeah, so no, those were true numbers. Now with all that being said in that 8.9, I definitely wasn't nourishing my body the way I should have. I do think it was accurate, but I also wonder just like the fluctuation of all the hormones between being pregnant, breastfeeding, all of those things that that played into it. Um, but it was what I needed to be my wake up call to make that lifestyle change. Yeah. I think a lot of people have that, you know, like that wake up call or that rock bottom or whatever. And I'm sure seeing that 8.9, especially since you are in the medical community, you really know it's, it's like when somebody, when I was diagnosed, I think my blood sugar was like 600. I was like, what does that mean? You know, but you are like, oh, I know what 8.9 is. That's really bad. That's really high. So you must've really been, you know, driven to action when you saw that, as you said. Yeah. Um, and so that was my time to no longer allow my excuses. You know, I wanted my excuses to drive me. And I'm a big fan of there's always a blessing in the lesson. And like that, you know, for a long time in my life in certain scenarios, I would think, why me? Why do I have to struggle with this? And it's a very victim mentality. And it's extremely freeing when you recognize it's your choices and your responsibility for the consequences and results of your life. And that was the moment that like, hey, Hillary, yes, you may have been given wrong information. You may have not been given all the right information, but it's now your responsibility to search, research and figure it out and make the changes you need to make. And that was extremely free. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really glad that you are telling your story with so much honesty because you are in the medical you are in the medical profession and you are still having trouble with this. So I'm just thinking of somebody who's not and they're also having trouble with it. Maybe they're beating themselves up over like what's going on and I don't understand. But you're right, you just took things back into your own hands and you, you know, you researched a lot, you found Dr. Jason Fung and you and you figured it out and you stopped, you know, you, you said you had a victim mentality before and you were reversing that. So I think that's a really important message because, um, you know, I think a lot of us can go down that rabbit hole if we're, we're not careful. And it's helpful to see that even somebody like you who knows what, what they're doing had an issue like that too. So thank you for that honesty. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to also, you know, remember in medicine, like we can be some of the sickest patients. And that was like my wake up call. Like, why is it that so many people in medicine are also not that healthy? Like, and maybe it's because we're not given all the correct information. And so that was really um, eye-opening for me and humbling, which I think a lot of things in life, you have to come with humility and be willing to say, maybe I thought I knew that, but maybe I was wrong. And let me look back in that. And you know, that's one of my biggest things for my patients is allowing them to know that they have power and hope and that we don't know it all. There's so many things that we're wrong about and that's okay. And sometimes the patient knows a lot more through their experience. And so we need to be humble enough as providers to work together as a team and help the patients because they may know something that you don't know. Yeah, no, that's an extremely important point. So um, take us back. So you joined the gym, you found Dr. Jason Fung and you started putting things into action right away. What did, what did it look like for you when you started fasting? Like what, what sort of protocol did you start with? Like, how did you jump in? So after seeing that he made one C of 8.9, I knew it was obviously important that I needed to cut out all carbohydrates and I needed to cut out all sugar. So that day I just stopped eating all those things. Um, and I started going to the gym because I knew that that would help with my insulin. Like it's going to create more insulin sensitivity, burn up that extra gl glucose. Um, so I started with that and then I started to just dig into more research and found, um, Dr. Tro Palasian, who's a low carb MD and just other different podcasts of low carb and no sugar. And these people were talking about fasting and just reading more into Dr. Fung. I was like, how did I not know this? Like, you know, we're taught in medicine to check the heme one c and check a fasting glucose, but nobody's checking an insulin and your insulin, your fasting insulin level will be up 10 years before possibly your glucose will be. And people aren't checking that. And that's pennies to check. Um, and it just made so much sense when Dr. Fung was like, you know, when you fast, your body is not stoving insulin. So, you know, we're taught eat these six small meals a day and breakfast is the most important meal and all of these things. But that is just creating more insulin, more insulin, more inflammation, more chronic disease, more chronic problems. Um, and we don't allow the system to actually repair. And so how do you make yourself more receptive to insulin is to lower it. And so that just made sense to me. I'm like, how are we not looking at this? And, um, you know, breaking your fast is the most important meal, but that doesn't mean breakfast. And so I could see where people were putting, you know, good marketing and big food and all of these processed foods telling you to eat all this stuff all day long. And so it was really the low carbon, no sugar that allowed me to jump into the fasting because then my body was already switched over to burning on fat. And so then I just kind of started with like a 24 hour fast. And then over the next few months, I was able to kind of jump into like more of a 48 hour fast. And then just through some of my research, you know, they say, if you can do at least a seven day fast once a year, that's cancer prevention because it helps with autophagy. And that's where basically we go in and get rid of all those old cells and then we create new cells. And I was like, that makes so much sense. 
And that is probably one of the most fascinating things to me is the autophagy and how it does help with like skin health and gut health and mood and all of these different things. Um, and so for me, what powers me through those fasts is knowing all of that healing that's going on. Yeah, that's an important point. And I, that helps me too. That's a good way of looking at it. When you started, I mean, you had changed both your diet and you were doing, I mean, a lot of people start with like a 16, eight fast or something like that. And you jumped right into 24 hour. Yeah. Is that right? Did you, did you find any aspect of that difficult or was it just you're, you were so, you know, one track mind on getting, reversing your diabetes and reclaiming your health? How, how did you sort of, how was your mindset back then? Do you remember? I think I was just so extremely motivated to never have to go on medication that it was just easy for me to jump into it. Um, was it difficult for sure, but it was so worth it. And I think I felt so good even quickly into it that that continued to motivate me. Um, I had gone back and had lab work done and, you know, I, I lost significant amount of weight. I don't harbor on the exact numbers, but within a three and a half, four month period of time, I had lost, I want to say 30 pounds or something like that. Maybe even a little more, I'm not sure, but my lab work was amazing. So my lab work at that time was like 4.6 heme 1C. Yeah. Wow. That's that, fast. Yes. Yeah. So when I had gone back to have the lab work, she was like, I don't know if your heme 1C is too low or if that's even such a thing. <laughs> Um, my fasting insulin was like 29. The lowest I've gotten it has been four. So, I mean, it's just, it, the proof is in the lab work. And it made a lot of sense when Dr. Fung talked about patients who go for the gastric bypass before they lose that significant amount of weight, they're already off their diabetes medication because they're doing the fasting leading up and then even after. And so it's all about creating more insulin sensitivity. And that's the thing that I think that we do wrong in type two diabetes is we blame the patient. We tell them that they're well-controlled. They can continue to eat some of these poor foods. Every time they come back in every three to six months, they're adding another medication. And then like Dr. Funk said, like we keep on saying they're doing okay. And then eventually we give them insulin, but they already have a problem of too much insulin. And insulin's a growth hormone. It's going to cause you to gain weight. And then we get upset when the patients gain weight. And it's like, well, that's because we're not addressing the root cause. We're addressing just the symptom of the blood glucose. And so you give them these medications. Where does that blood glucose go? What's going to go into the organs? It's going to go into the tissues. It's going to go into other areas. So yes, you treated the symptom, but you didn't treat the insulin sensitivity. Yeah. Um, and that's what's been just so eye-opening for me because that just makes so much sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you've done so much research on this because I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's hard for people that are new to like wrap their brains around like what's going on. But the more you understand about how your body actually works and how it processes insulin, if you're type two and rebuilding insulin sensitivity, whether you're type one or type two, like then you can sort of you know, get, you can, it, it sort of propels you forward because you actually understand logically why these things are happening. And it's not just like, oh, I'm following 
a diet, I can eat this many calories in a day or eat this many points or whatever it is and there's no real rationale. But here you really understand why every single thing you're doing is why you do it. Yeah. And it just helps you to understand the importance of it. Um, and then that's really freeing when you get to take that power back, you know? Yep, I agree. And so, so you started out with a 24 hour, you worked up to 48 hour fast, then you do a seven day fast every year. What is your, I mean, you've been doing this for three years now. Has your fasting protocol evolved over time or is that pretty much, like what do you do now, for example? Yeah. So I was kind of getting into a habit of doing like a 72 hour fast. Um, and then I was like, I need to switch it up because I do want to still lose a little bit more weight more so than anything. I just want to firm up and be strong. Like that's my main goal. Um, and you know, it definitely helps with insulin sensitivity when you're building muscle. So I do do strength training. I try to move my body and do some sort of strength training five days a week. Um, but I, I've recently switched it up to alternate day fasting, which has been a game changer. Um, and then also just learning more about gut health in general and how to keep the body in more homeostasis and, and the link between your, you know, your second brain is your gut and how that affects your mood. And that's where I think also some of that comes into changing the gut bacteria through fasting and things like that of how people end up breaking other habits and, and mood problems um, with that. So that's been a game changer for me too, just understanding more of the gut and brain connection, but the alternate day fasting I love. Um, and I think it's important, you know, the body is so impressive of how it can heal, but also how it adapts. And so sometimes people don't recognize how good they can feel because the body adapts to how miserable we are, you know? Um, and so it's a blessing and a curse in that regard. But once you start to tap into that amazing healing, you notice the difference. Your energy is back and you just feel like doing all the things. And so it makes sense, you know, when, when you're eating food, your body is using the majority of its cellular energy for digestion to move, you know, remove the um, nutrients and put it in the cell, remove the toxins and get rid of it, those kind of things. So it made a lot of sense when I was listening to this one physician, I can't remember his name. And he's like, you know, when you go through a 48 to 72 hour fast and the GI system at that point is empty, a hundred percent of your cellular energy is going to autophagy, which is getting rid of those old cells and creating new cells. And, you know, your, your GI tract is, is healing and replenishing and growing new cells and all of those things. So it's super powerful when you have those more longer therapeutic fasts. And so that's what helps drive me. But I also do it based on like my hormone cycle. So as with premenopause, you know, you're going to have your first day of your period. I have found that it's much easier for me to fast. So I can do those longer fasts that first week. The second week is still pretty good. So I can do say a three, if I'm going to do a seven day fast, I would do it in that window for that once a year, or I'll do like a 72 hour fast during that. Then the second week I can do that alternate day fasting. So 48 hour. And then the third week, because the progesterone is starting to increase, it becomes a little bit more difficult. So I try to give myself grace. If I can do a 48 hour, that's great. 
if I just do a 24 hour that week leading up and the next week, then that's fine too. Um, and I find that that's really good because it allows you to create some variability in your schedule. So the body is not adapting to that. And also kind of trying to change the times. Like right now, my kids are little, they're five and seven. So when I do eat, I want to eat dinner with them. But when I can, I try to change that meal, whether that meal at the 24 hours or 48 hours is going to be breakfast or lunch. You know, I think that you can get a lot more um, weight loss to occur if you can switch it up. So I try to remember that. Um, yeah, that's great. And I just want to comment on what you were saying about um, tracking your cycle and how you fast through your cycle. For It took me a really long time to figure that aspect out. And there are periods, no pun intended, in the month when <laughs> it's really hard to fast. And I could never figure it out until I was like, oh, it's probably hormonal. Yeah. And then once you figure that out, then you can be a little easier on yourself when you're going through those stages where it's just not easy to fast. And then, like you said, you take advantage of it when you're in a stage where it's easier to fast and you can do something longer. So I love that because I think a lot of women, in, you know, we forget that we're women and we have other stuff going on in the background. So yeah. thank you for mentioning that because that's really, really important. It's really important. And also to give yourself grace. And I'm a huge fan of leaning into your body, right? Like, be intuitive with what your body needs. So if it's becoming really hard, give yourself some grace, go back to your time restricted eating, just as long as you're not snacking and eating window of like four hours, eat a big filling meal. You know, maybe that's where some fat fasting comes in that week before um, your menstrual period and all those kind of things. So it's really kind of like leaning into those hormones to kind of help you and propel you. But also, like I said, to create some variability, which can be hard for some of us because we like our structure. And so, you know, when we did so well those first two weeks and then it's harder those next two weeks, we automatically go to ourselves, right? Like, why am I not good enough to do this this week? But it's not like your body just needs some extra calories maybe that week. Maybe your body needs some more fat, some more nutrients. So give yourself grace, be responsible with what you're choosing and go back to your time-restricted eating. I think that's so powerful. Um, just to cut out the snacking and know when you're eating, you know, as long as that eating window is smaller than your um, fasting window, you're creating a ton of healing. There's a lot of people walking around eating 16 to 18 hours a day. I would say most people do that. A hundred. I mean, <laughs> you want a superpower start fasting. I told my cousin, I think so at the beginning of my journey, I think she thought I was like, had an eating disorder. And so it's so funny because now, you know, two and a half, almost three years in, she kind of joined my journey about six to nine months ago. And she's like, I thought you were crazy. She's like, it's amazing. And I was like, I know when you hear people like, I'm so hangry and they like not eaten in two hours. And you're like, well, I haven't eaten for four to 48 hours. Like it's just a superpower. It is. Yeah. I have those conversations with my partner all the time because he's like, you know, uh, it'll be like 10 in the morning and we'll have gone for a walk or something. He'll be like, I'm starving. And I'm like, he ate at like 10 p.m. the night before. Why is he starving? You know? And I'm like, I haven't eaten since like uh, 12 noon yesterday. I'm not starving. Like, what's wrong with you? But I'm just kidding. It's but yeah, you notice that people people uh, most people eat all day long from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep. And a lot of yeah. people eat like a bedtime snack and like, it's just, it's just the thing. So well, I agree with you. Yeah. And that's like, your body doesn't ever have time to repair because it's constantly working on digestion. Like, 
and especially nowadays, I mean, even when we get organic foods and stuff, there's always something in there that the body's trying to get rid of. And it's like, just give your body a break to create that healing that you need. Um, and it's just, it's super fascinating to me that you can control your insulin sensitivity. I mean, that's so amazing that our bodies can heal like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the other aspect of your story that I really like is that you've been doing this for three years or right around three years, and I'm a little over a year in. And, you know, I, I see there's like ebbs and flows in my mindset. Like sometimes I'm like all in and I'm, you know, totally on board. And then sometimes I just kind of fall off a little bit. I'm, I'm very like regimented. So I always try to keep to the one meal a day, but some days it's really hard and I'm really like kicking my ass trying to, to stick with this program. But having done it for three years, I'm sure that those ebbs and flows happen for you all the time. And you alluded to some of it where you kind of Maybe you'll go back to time-restricted eating sometimes, and then you'll mix up your fasting schedules. Has there ever been a point where you're just like, I don't want to do this anymore? Or do you just keep it interesting and that's how you keep going? To be totally honest, I would never be able to go back to eating 16 or even 12 or eight hours out of the day. Like, I just can't do it. Um, you just, once you tap into feeling that good, like you just find like, even when I give myself a hard time, like maybe with my food choices or how much I ate or it's nothing near to what it would have been four years ago. Um, and it was funny. So when I turned 40, we went to Jamaica, it was an all-inclusive. So, but I just, I still found like, I didn't eat that much. I still just did like maybe one or two meals a day. Like it's still very difficult for me to really do breakfast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think just changing it up, but I think also just give yourself some grace. Like we're going to have ebbs and flows. There's going to be stress. Um, there's going to be life-changing events and all of those things. And that's when you really just tap into your support of, you know, like listening to your podcast and other podcasts and, and reading and researching and, you know, tapping into that community of people who are there behind you to help support you, but also like the fat fasting or um, just changing it up and doing, instead of just one meal, do two meals or change your timing of the meal. Um, but I would never be able to go back to eating all day, every day. I don't think ever again, just cause I feel so sick when I even try that. Like I just, there's no way I can eat the amount or the types of things to that quantity again. Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. Cause I sort of feel the same way. And I, I notice it even in my day to day, cause Unlike you, like I'm, like I said, I'm kind of regimented, so we do things a little bit differently. And I, I kind of have to be with type one because I have yep. all these profiles of my insulin and how much it gives me. Like there's a drip during the day, and like if I'm like, oh well, today I'm gonna eat dinner instead of breakfast, or you know what I mean, then it's like, then I got a whole whole other problem to deal with. So type ones, unfortunately, we're just <laughs> we're neurotic and we're very regimented because we, we kind of have to be. And rightly but, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I like, I like your message for people that are type two mixing it up. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, in that, in that sort of train of thought, like when you're doing what you're doing, I'm doing what I'm doing and we, we can kind of like keep this thing moving forward. And I understand what you're saying about, you know, not being able to go back to the old way. Cause if I, I usually end my eating window around 12 PM, maybe 1 PM every day. Mm -hmm. But like, if I, if I, for whatever reason, end up eating something at two or three o'clock, like I feel gross, like for the rest of the day, I just, I physically don't feel right. And I think yeah. it's because I've trained myself that way. 
Yeah. And the body really does thrive when it's got that time for autophagy. Um, you know, and it's still amazing to me too. Like what I hit, hit on before, like only having a period once or twice, like here I was at 40 and I'm getting a menstrual cycle every 28 days, just now figuring out my PMS and my hormonal roller coaster at 40 years old. And I, you know, I can't go back and change the things that happened. Um, and that's really, I'm grateful for that, even in my challenges and my trials and my struggle, because that's really what led me to be who I am today. And so I wouldn't ever change that. But I think now, like I paid all this money to get pregnant and I could have just fasted and possibly done it on my own. You know, like it's just so interesting at 40 to finally be getting the cycle every 28 days and figuring out all your hormones. <laughs> Yeah. Do you know um, Dr. Nadia Padaguana who works with yeah. Dr. Jason Fung? So yeah. I talked to her a few weeks ago and um, we were talking about this very same thing. And I th think it's really interesting that like the insulin resistance was the cause of both of your problems, the diabetes and obviously the PCOS. So you, you corrected two things at the same time. It's amazing what fasting can do. Yes. I mean, and even just like I said to you, like you know, listening to um, Dr. Tro, when he was talking about a lot of his patients that would do low carb, they would end up not having a, so many addiction problems um, and other mental issues. And I thought, how is this? But it's through changing that gut bacteria and, and your mood. And so I also find that when you're asking, like, could you ever go back? I just don't think I could because I definitely had more mood instability, especially with, you know, menstrual cycles and all of that. And I just feel so good in a fasted state that I just don't think I could ever go back. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously your PCOS has been dealt with your type two diabetes is in remission. You still get regular A1C checks. I do. So my last, so the lowest I got was the 4.2 and then my last one was 4.6. Oh, wow. So they oh, took diabetes off your chart then. Yeah. I mean, so unfortunately, because I was seen by a naturopath, it was never labeled on my chart. Um, so I'm fortunate in that, that I don't have that, I guess, diagnosis as far as if you were going for, you know, life insurance or, all, you know, all those different things with insurance. But um, the other thing that I found super fascinating through fasting, and so uh, just a little bit of my backstory as a dental hygienist, um, for three years and a patient of mine had come in who was a PA and women's health and she hadn't been to the dentist in like 10 years. And so I was talking to her a lot just to make her feel more comfortable. And that's when a lot of stuff was coming out about C-reactive protein and the bacteria in your mouth linked with heart health. And so I was asking about that and she was like, you seem really interested in medicine. You should look into the PA program of which I did. And then, um, became a PA. And so I've been a PA ever since, but, um, my C reactive protein, the highest it was normal high is like three, three is high. Mine was 12, 12. Um, and even through so many things that I did, I could never get it to even like three, like it would be five or six through fasting. My last, um, CRP was like 1.8. 
I have never been able to decrease that amount of inflammation. So C-reactive protein is not specific. It's just a sign that there's a lot of inflammation. They correlate it with heart disease and some other things. Um, But I've never been able to get that down, even with just low carb, no sugar, like, but through fasting and the amount of healing I've done with my therapeutic fasting, like for me to have that CRP of 1.8 is amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. And it just, there's so many benefits of fasting. Obviously that's one of them. So incredible, incredible result there. If you don't mind, can we talk a little bit about your diet? Because we've been skirting around, you do low carb. Yes. Um, And so like, what is your, like, you know, what, what kind of diet do you, do you eat? You know, are you like, I just interviewed somebody who does carnivore and like a lot of people do keto. Are you right. very regimented about it? Or are you kind of, you know, so how, do you, how do you do it? I guess I would say at the beginning, it was definitely more keto, um, you know, like more higher fat with that being healthier fats, avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil, ghee. Um, you know, we do eat meat. We do go to a local place and get grass fed, grass finished, um, And so I was definitely more keto. I would say throughout my journey now, I try to just do more intuitive eating, meaning, you know, if I need some fruit or if I, if I need a certain, um, carbohydrate per se, like I'll do some edamame pasta or, you know, I work in some other stuff, but we do mostly do kind of grass fed, grass finished beef, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, um, eggs. Um, so I wouldn't, I would just say more so low carb and I do try to stay away from most sugar. I like to do, if I do an alternate sweetener is like erythritol, um, because it's non-GMO, it's kind of the byproduct of the bacteria eating sugar. Um, so I found that that has been good, but it's interesting, like, because I've created so much insulin sensitivity, like I could go to Cheesecake Factory and eat one of their pieces of cheesecake. And I've been able to have my blood sugar be like 80 after. Which so you've, is you've really, yeah. So you've really cured that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been, yeah, like life changing for me. Now, with that being said, and I'm sure you know this too, like, you just don't really go back to all that super sweet. Like it's so rich. So maybe on occasion I would eat that, but I really just find that I don't crave that stuff as much, but if I am, I give myself some grace. I'm, I try to be smart about it. I'm really more like whole foods, um, natural, try to do the least amount of processed, um, just because your body has to work so hard to break stuff down. You really just don't want that added chemicals to it. And with raising kids, you know, I'm just aware of like high fructose corn syrup and the dye and how sugar really, you know, is makes it really unstable for their mood, you know, when they're having temper tantrums. So I try to talk to my kids about it. My kids are probably like going to school and they're talking about how orange juice is healthy. And my son's like, no, it's not. It's loaded with sugar. Yeah. Orange juice is the worst. I'm like, so I just try to educate them and I'm not, I don't want to be restrictive because I also think that that leads to binge behavior. Um, and so especially like with dealing with kids, like I just try to make the best choices and I want them to be in tune with their body. And I try to do that too. Like, okay, when I eat this kind of food, I feel sustained. My mood feels calmer. Um, I don't have times where I feel unstable, you know, or angry or 
whatever, like this food makes me feel good. And then when I eat this food, mm, I don't feel really good. I feel bloated. I have a little bit of a tummy ache. And so my kids are in tune with that. Um, so I just try to, to do more so whole foods, least processed. And we do do a lot of more veggies and leaner meat protein. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that seems like a, and obviously the A1C results speak for themselves. So, you know, that keeping it in the fours, obviously you're doing something right. And I, you know, since you've repaired, you know, your insulin sensitivity, like you said, you can have that Cheesecake Factory cake or pie, but you don't do it every day. And if you, if you were to do it every day, then your type two would definitely come back. It's yeah. just, you're smart about it. You do it every once in a while. You don't do it every day. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, just like I said about restriction, it's, you know, if you are so restrictive that you never do that stuff at some point, it can lead to that more binge behavior. Um, and I've seen that with kids, you know, it's like if, if the parent tries to keep all of that out of the house, then when they go to a friend's house, they eat all of that stuff. So I think it's just being smart, keeping balance. Also just giving yourself some grace, you know, like food is meant to be enjoyed. Um, and I do enjoy food. And so like I tell my kids, if we, we don't make different dinners, we make one dinner for all of us. And sometimes my son's like, I don't like this. You know, he's a huge seafood fan or he likes steak or whatever. And I'm like, you know, Theo, like sometimes we get to really enjoy the food we eat. Other times it's just there to fuel our body. You just eat it. <laughs> That's a great message. <laughs> I, I wish all parents would, you know, feed their kids in that way because I think it makes a lot of sense. And you do see kids with just so many mood issues. And like, I think they get blamed for a lot of it just for behavioral issues, but it's like, no, it's probably what you're feeding them quite honestly, or at least a lot of it can be that. A lot of it is. I mean, and, and I think that's maybe one of the things when I feel like I have more time, maybe I could focus on even just helping schools with that too, you know, like just encourage the parents, don't send the kids with this fruit juice. Don't be bringing in these sugary snacks. Like it makes it really difficult to keep the kids all you know, simmered down so that they're learning. And, you know, it, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of kids with behavioral issues and it's really their diet. Yeah. So if I can, so obviously you've taken care of your PCOS, reverse type two diabetes. Is there any, are there any other health goals that you have at this point? Or are you pretty much just maintaining? Um, I, like I said, I would say for uh, physical stuff, I would just say becoming more strong. Like I wanna be strong. Um, and so I do like to lift weights and do strength training, resistance training. Um, flexibility is important to me. Uh, so I've definitely like added in some more like yoga, Pilates, bar, that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as like health goals, no. I mean, I think really, um, I, we, I mentioned my liver function tests. They were elevated due to probably fatty liver from processed foods, sugar, inflammation. All of those now are completely normal. Um, my CRP is normal. All the indicators for inflammation are down. My hormones are normal. Uh, blood glucose is normal. My cholesterol is normal. So there's really nothing else health-wise. And to give people hope, like a lot of those levels were normal in a couple months. You know, yeah, it's like, amazing how fast that happens. The weight is really a side effect. Um, and, you know, I think we put so much emphasis on BMI and your weight and stuff in the medical world. 
But the reality is, I mean, people can really do a lot of healing and, and be really um, more sound internally before you're going to see the external result. And, you know, when you see the external result, I just think to myself, like, how amazing must they look inside? You know, like that inside, like your vessels and your gut and just all those other things. Like, it's super impressive. Yeah, I, uh, well, when you came to fasting sort of to get your health back on track, I came to it initially for weight loss. And then very quickly I realized, wow, this is very helpful with my blood sugar. I was very surprised by that. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't care about the weight. I just want my blood sugars to be good. So to your point, like the internal stuff is more important than the external, although the external is nice, you know, it's, it's even better to know that you're healthy inside. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think a lot of people really do come to fasting based on our vanity, right? Like we all want to lose that weight or all those other things, but what hooks people is the healing. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> you're, so you're a PA in the ER. Do you ever talk to any of your patients about fasting or is it? I do. I, yeah. you know, I do do emergency medicine. So my time with my patients is limited and, you know, I'm not doing recurrent follow-ups or anything like that, but I definitely see patients that come in with diabetic issues or inflammatory issues or other things like that. And I definitely say, you know, take a look into death, Dr. Jason Fung, you know, talk to your doctor about these things. Um, and just at least spread that knowledge to them because we need to do that. They're, there's so many people that are guided by this food pyramid, which was created by the big industry, you know? Um, and so I think we can do better when we know more. Um, and so that's part of my um, journey is to share it with who I can. Now, does that mean that they think I might be crazy? I'm like telling them to fast or whatever, maybe, but there's going to be somebody who it changes their life. And so that's one of the things I'm super passionate about is informed consent. I think in medicine, you know, when you start to recognize that we're trained based on a symptom model and a pharmaceutical model, um, you know, to prescribe the pill and a lot of physicians and medical providers have lost hope in their patients, you know, and they may be right. Maybe, 90% will just want the pill. I've seen them. I have them in my family. You know, they don't want to make the lifestyle change. They want to be prescribed a pill to continue their current lifestyle. Um, but, you know, I think it's wrong to not give the patient the choice. No one would have given me that choice. I don't think if I went to a medical doctor, they would have told me I had to go on these medications. And that's the other thing. Like a lot of medical providers are blown away when they see those labs, they don't even know that that's possible because we've not been taught that. Um, so I think it's really important to give informed consent and give the patient the option. You know, they didn't get that diabetes overnight. And as long as they're aware that, you know, diabetes isn't waiting, you have to take action today. Um, at least give them that chance to try to make some lifestyle changes over the next two to three months and see if that may be what could help besides yeah. just prescribing. And also, I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like 
I don't think like metformin or if you're on the Ozempic or whatever is like a cure all because type two is actually progressive. Like your your blood sugars will over time probably continue to go up and you may have to increase your dose or get on insulin at some point. Like it's not like you just take a pill and then like you can eat whatever you want still. Like it's it's progressive actually. And that's, you know, that's kind of what brought, if I remember correctly, Dr. Fung to it. He's like, here I am in nephrology and we're telling these people with type two diabetes, oh, you're being managed, you're being managed, but we're constantly adding more pills, more pills. And they all end up coming to me for dialysis and they've been put on insulin, which their problem is insulin. So how is this working? And I was like, the the bomb went off. How are we missing this? And so- my passion is to just share the information with as many people as I can. You know, I talk to my coworkers about it. I talk to the patients about it. I talk with my friends about it who are in healthcare. Um, but really just at least give the hope to the patient that if they want to make lifestyle changes, it can be life-changing for them and maybe keep them off a pharmaceutical product. Yeah, and you're a prime example of that. You've been doing this for three years. You have not been on medication. You're doing it all through your diet and fasting. So... Yeah. The proof is right there. Yeah. So before we come up on time, I just wanted to ask you, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that may have prediabetes or newly diagnosed with type two, and they're just starting out. And, you know, I know you started this three years ago, but if, if you can maybe talk to those people that are just starting, like what, what advice do you have for them? So do as much research as you can listen to as many podcasts as you can. Um, be hopeful. You have the power. It is within you to be able to tap into that. Understand that your challenges are there to help you grow and become the person you're always meant to be. And just be informed and ask tough questions with your physician. Be your own medical advocate. You know, one of the things that COVID definitely highlighted is that you're not going to wait for someone else to get you healthy. You have to take responsibility and, um, and you have to be your own medical advocate because sometimes we just don't know as medical providers. And so if you show us like, Hey, I saw this person was able to reverse their diabetes. Can I try this? You know, we just have to share the information and be hopeful. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly no harm in trying if you're just, you know, got a bad diagnosis or something like that. There's absolutely no harm in saying, can I try it for like two or three months by myself first and see what happens? And then if it doesn't work fine, you know, go back to the drawing board. I think it will. But, you know, definitely try different things and be your own advocate, like you said. Yeah. And maybe it means that you do have to start on some sort of um, pharmacological agent at the beginning, but maybe you'll be able to lower that over time, you know, like, there's always hope and there's always possibility and you don't have to jump in head first like I did or like some people do. You can work your way up to it. I just always say at the very beginning, like stop snacking, do time restricted eating, you know, put all your food on a plate, sit down and eat that within the first 30 to 45 minutes, shut your eating window down and then do that again. You know, it's not necessarily about restricting all your calories and all those things. It's just about allowing your body the time to process and to decrease your insulin level. And you can do that when you're not stoving it all day by eating all day long. That's a great message. And I, I loved talking to you because, you know, you come at it from a very, you know, a methodical research perspective 
and you've obviously given this a lot of time and attention and you've been doing it for a really long time. So I just, I think your story is incredibly powerful. So thank you so much for sharing it with me. Well, thank you so much. I'm honored that you found me. I am extremely proud that you're on this journey and that you started this podcast and that you've been finding these people to help spread the information because that's what we're all meant to do. Well, thank you, Hillary. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.